rounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks signifies another episode of the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio, and my guest for this Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast is Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. In fact, this also represents Saris's first appearance on Fangraphs Audio since the birth of his child, and it's on that theme that we begin, because Eno, like most new parents, is unable to talk about much else besides his child. In this case, we learned some fantasy survival techniques for the new father, or new parent generally, I should say, and also about which aspects of fantasy ownership must necessarily fall by the wayside. From there, we move on to what, in fact, may be the last Hector Santiago status update for the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, and what might be replaced in the future by a Dale Thayer status update. Thayer, of course, serving as the current closer for the San Diego Padres. We discuss some other uncertain closing situations, and Saris notes the new bullpen report that is available at Rotographs every night, and which recaps notable bullpen usages of the day in baseball. Last but not least on this edition of the podcast is discussed the St. Louis Cardinals' first base situation, with the triumvirate of Lance Berkman, Alan Craig, and Matt Carpenter all injured, what can we expect from Matt Adams and other potential replacements? Also in this episode, we learn that Scott Pitsednik is still a baseball player. That sort of cutting-edge information and more on this Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. It's like uh, it's just you just get up and you have to be like, what can I do for my wife? What can I do for my child? And how can I hold on to my job another day? You know, people have multiple children in some cases. <laughs> I know. Right? I have no idea how they do it. I guess you know. Yeah, twins was terrifying to me because they'd be the same age at the same time when you have multiple children and one of them's two and one of them's two months, then, you know, at least they're, you know, just exhausting in different ways. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, right now it's a lot of sleeping, just a lot of sleeping and eating and crying. But, um, and what is the, and what does the baby do? Oh! Oh, hey <laughs> Well, mostly, I, uh, the, the hardest part is when he's gotten... He's stayed awake too long, and he's gotten so tired that he's, you know, just fussy because he wants to sleep. And but he doesn't, he doesn't know that he wants to sleep, though, perhaps. He doesn't understand. Right. That. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, you kind of have to, like, surprise him with sleep. So you have to, like, walk him around and sing silly things to him and bounce him. And we have this yoga ball that, like, has... It's been so useful to us, and we just bounce on the yoga ball, and that pretty much puts him to sleep. But um, it's been great. I mean, he's it's is he changes day to day, and he's learning new things every day, which is just amazing. And just sort of continually watching to see him grow and decide, you know, what part of him is me and what part of him is my wife, and um, just like watching and sort of develop a personality. It's, Pretty amazing. Do you uh, 
able to keep up with your fantasy teams in the meantime? Because you had a number of teams. You had a lot of teams for a single person. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm like, if you count Fangraphs a game, I think I'm at 15. So it's uh, it's pretty exhausting. Um, some of them are kind of set the line up and go, like my score sheet team, which is uh, just going straight into the crapper. Um, and uh, what I have noticed is that I, I haven't been able to – I can set my lineups and I can stay on top of it, and some of my teams are doing well. But the teams that aren't doing well, I, like maybe this weekend, i got to get in there and sort of help around and figure out you know, if I'm settling for the future and, and start, you know, making some trade offers. Because that takes a little bit of time. You have to, like, kind of look at your team, look at everybody else's team, look at their needs, find someone whose needs match up with your needs, and, you know, do a decent trade. And, you know, there's nobody in these leagues that that uh, wants to see just a stupid, stupid trade offer. So Yeah, well, um, I know that this is a thing I talked about with uh, Zach Sanders that, I guess a couple weeks ago now, he was, um, I think he was down to eight or nine teams. That that had represented a cutback for him. I think that that's about right. Uh, maybe it was more than that, but he was talking about how, you know, at a certain point, and, you know, the cutoff is different depending on the quality of your team, the quality of your competition. At a certain point, you know, though, he becomes more of a passive owner where he'll look at trade offers probably, but he's not necessarily an active member of the league if he doesn't think he really has a chance, you know, to finish either in the money or win the league. Uh, now, I don't know if you condone um, condone that stance on a, on moral grounds, but especially if you're in a keeper league, there's always, there's never really any, any time to stop paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 why I I think number one I'm looking at my other new teams and just being like I think I have to sell for the future and sell for future pieces because I'm just stuck at tenths and elevens and you know I was interested in in getting into the money this year and my extra team league was third or fourth last year so I kind of felt like I had the chance and I I still when I look at them don't see terrible teams so. Um, but I do need to put time into them, and I really do. I, I will cut back next year a little bit because I, I, I'm forced into what Zach was talking about just by virtue of time. Um, and I'm in this Razzball league where I'm like in 10th or 11th, and I just, you know, I just get depressed when I set my lineups and I kind of look at it and I'm like, God, I really should look at this a little bit harder, and then I move on. I've made two, two trade offers in the league all year. And probably picked up about 15 to 20, to maybe not even 15. I think I might have picked up like 10, 11 players. Why don't want you to sound so forlorn, you know? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. People will excuse you. Don't, don't, uh, just don't stop, start crying. That's on this <laughs> podcast. It is still fun. It's still fantasy, but I got to I got to There's a couple teams that I've been neglecting. So 15, I think I've stretched too far. Yeah. Well. Uh, noted on that run. Now, uh, you know, of course, each week we like to begin, or at least we have begun, with a Hector Santiago status update. Hector Santiago was, of course, at one point closer for the Chicago White Sox, 
uh, maybe for the first three weeks, uh, month of the season. Last we heard, he was not that anymore. I mean, it, I don't know if, if, I mean, at a certain point, the Hector, there might not be any need for a Hector Santiago status update, but where is Hector Santiago these days? Is he still a major league pitcher, for example? Yeah, still very screwy. Um, I don't know. He's still throwing screwballs, still uh, still hanging out, but I think he's more like seventh and eighth inning guy. And uh, I think Chicago's sort of announced that Addison Reed is finally their guy. We all thought it would happen uh, this year, and we thought it might happen earlier than this. But uh, Addison Reed's their guy, and the only thing that's separating Addison Reed and um, the excellence he showed in the minors and the excellence he will once again show is a walk rate. Um, and he had a walk rate under two in the minors. So right now he's got a walk rate over four. I, I, I see him cutting that in half because he had like one game where he had three walks, and that's really blown it all up. So um, I think Asin Reed is going to be excellent, and I think that we will maybe have to rethink this feature. Right. Okay. So, and that you know, that's Addison Reed is the is the pitcher whom, as you noted, many of us thought uh, would be starting the season as the White Sox closer. Uh, Sanders weighed in on that. What do you think? I mean, from you, I know that you sort of have this theory of of uh, trying to get inside the mind of the manager. From your perspective, what was the motivation for Ventura going to Santiago to begin with? And and why not just start off with with Reed, who seemed like an inevitability? Um, I bet you I can't. Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it's really I called it thinking stupid and and trying to get into the manager's head is a is folly most of the time, and it's uh, it's a really difficult enterprise and you know a lot of bad sports writing spends time trying to figure out um, you know the psychology of the players, the managers, but. Um, you know, Santiago does have really interesting stuff, um, and I think it's a little bit more with him about corralling it. So if you see a guy that has, you know, wicked movement and a pitch that no one else has and, you know, good velocity, you kind of say, well, that's my closer, where Addison Reed might just have, you know, more standardized pitches and great control, and that might not show up in the small samples as quickly, you know. You might not, like, watch him and be like, oh, my God, this guy has to be my closer. But if you throw him out there sort of week after week, you start to realize, you know, what his excellence, how his excellence lines up with, you know, limiting the walks and great strikeouts and and just... And plus, you want your closer to be a righty uh, because you don't want to lose a platoon advantage to three quarters of the batters in the ninth inning. So I think that's why you don't normally find lefty closers. And that's sort of, as a side note, why I think that Scott Downs is eventually going to lose his job to um, Ernesto Frieri in uh, Los Angeles. But I think one of the really interesting things is uh, another way of putting it, instead of um, drafting, uh, instead of He's thinking stupid. I, I was talking to um, Derek Cardi uh, from Baseball Perspectives and um, Paul DiCaprio from Fantasy Pros 911. Um, and uh, we were talking about trying to predict closers based on stats. Um, and, you know, I worked with Jack Moore on his Fangraphs Plus article about trying to use shutdowns and meltdowns to predict closer changes. Um, I've looked at 
you know, all sorts of different strikeout and walk rates against closer changes, and there's really nothing predictive in those numbers. And um, we've seen plenty of closers, ground ball closers like Jim Johnson and Brandon League. We've seen bad closers. We've seen bad closers that became good closers like Chris Perez. Um, and so I think that one thing that Derek said that was really interesting was draft roles, not skills. Um, that's that's another way of thinking stupid is is look at what the manager is doing and extrapolate from that and, and extrapolate more from that than necessarily what you think the true talent of the pitchers is. So, for example, if if you think Jordan Walden's a better pitcher than Scott Downs, but Jordan Walden's being used in the sevens and Scott Downs is being used in the eights, Scott Downs is going to be the next closer. Now, um, one question about that is I believe, although I, um, I'm frequently mistaken, but I believe that I saw at some point a correlation um, between, I guess, something like save opportunities and... Uh, and salary. Um, it, do, ah. Does that ring a bell, or or do you think that that could also be uh, a possibility? I mean, for example, now maybe the, the Heath Bell example, you could say, uh, because he was given a pretty sizable contract, certainly for a relief pitcher during the off season. And to the best of my knowledge, he's not closing right now in Miami. Uh, so you know that might be a data point that would fly in the face of that. Anecdotally, no. at least, would, does it seem to make sense? No, he's back in the role. So. Oh, he is. Okay. Well, so yeah, I he's back corrected. in the role, and I think, and I do think that's actually sort of the process that happens that does bring out this money thing. Um, is if you have a, a really highly paid closer that you brought in to, to to close, and he's struggling and he loses the role, you're just that much more likely to give him a shot once he starts excelling in a setup role again. You know. It's it's sort of like this feeling, you know, they're not so likely to do the sunk cost thing with the with the closer. I think they would be like, at the very least, we should you know pump his value up for a trade or you know. So I think you've got to you got to factor in salaries. It's definitely part of it. Um, and I think that that you know that that sort of a little bit more along the lines of thinking stupid. You got the salary thing. And you've got sort of this quote unquote experience in the role. Um, those are things that you can kind of look at and think about. Um, then you can, you can really just, you can look at the rates and you can look at what the, what you think the pitcher's true talent is. And then you have to look at the usage. And maybe we can figure a prediction engine out that uses all three of those things, but it's, uh, pretty tough. I guess you could use career saves plus salary. You know, plus strikeout rate, minus walk rate, um, plus maybe game leverage um, as a proxy for, you know, usage. But usually it works best just to actually get into the box scores and see what's happening. So you mentioned Ernesto Frieri, um, whom I believe was acquired semi-recently uh, by the Angels from from Miami? That's a true, um, true They thing. got him from San Diego. Indeed, right. San Diego. Okay. I trust you on that account. Um, oh, that's where, you know, it's the default. Where, where you know, reliever traded away? Oh, it must be San Diego. must be from, from San Diego. Uh, um, besides that name in, um, in Los Angeles, or Los Angeles of Anaheim, which is not a real place, what, um, <laughs> what 
is another name or two of um, of a guy who's currently not in a closer role, but might see some um, some opportunities along those lines, along, uh, save opportunities before the end of the season, or you know even shorter of that, maybe before the end of June. Um, well, you know, a favorite going into the season was Tom Wilhelmson in um, in Seattle, and he's definitely the setup guy. So he's got the usage; he's in the right place. Brandon League is struggling uh, with his walk rate, um, and Brandon League is a free agent at the end of the year. So if you look at sort of all of the things, they all line up. The money, you know, with Brandon League being on the, a team that's not necessarily a contender this year not being with the team next year, the team is likely to want to develop a closer for the future. Tom Hobson is is that possibility. He's got a better strikeout rate. Um, so that that's that's something that could happen, but it might take a while. It might take a Brandon Lee trade and in order for Brandon Lee to be traded you have to have more value, so you have to actually pitch better. So I think that's a little bit more long term. But if you actually look at uh, Oakland, there's an interesting situation going on where you know, ball four is well paid, but if you look at his usage, he's being used in the seventh inning right now. So um, it doesn't seem to me that ball four is getting. I mean, what a terrible name for a pitcher! But uh, there's no. It doesn't seem to me that ball four is getting back into the ninth inning. Uh, and Brian Fuentes has pissed off management in the past, um, and he's a lefty, and the rates are declining, um, and he's got a bad platoon split. So to me, Brian Fuentes is, even though the you know the ERA is okay and he hasn't blown a lot of saves, I think it would only take you know a bad week from Brian Fuentes before Ryan Cook might get a chance. Uh, and he has the lowest salary of all three, but you know again it's it's Oakland, and if they wanted to you know sell a piece, you know Fuentes could be a piece they could sell. And Ryan Cook has. Uh, came over in the Trevor Cahill trade from Arizona and has great strikeout stuff, a little bit of a control problem, but so far so good this year. Um, so there are two names, Ryan Cook, uh, Nestor Frieri, Tom Wilhelmson. These are guys that are uh, on the verge, I think. Uh, a, a question, uh, of course I noted it the, um, uh, briefly that we have been doing a Hector Santiago status update. We don't know the shelf life of that necessarily. It seems to be getting shorter all the time. But do you think that it, uh, perhaps a decent replacement for the Hector Santiago status update, the weekly Hector Santiago status update, might be a Dale Thayer, a Dale Thayer status update? Because I would suggest I mean, equally obscure, or in his own way equally obscure, and yet somehow I believe he's closing games. Yeah, he is, amazingly. And uh, the mustache you know, quality of this, of this update would go up. Um, we have some serious facial facial gravitas um, to this update if we did that. I mean, Dale Thayer, the, the stuff he's doing with his face is great. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well, we have to uh, – that might be a knockraft consideration, uh, yeah, great moments the, and mustaches. The, um, the stuff that he's doing on the mound it sort of confuses me. Uh, I guess he's always had great control, um, and this year he just kind of – I think he's under 50% on fastball usage or something. He's one of these guys that, you know, is like, well, fastball's not working for me, so he's like, you know, 50% sliders or something. And that's maybe not great for his long-term health, but his strikeout rate is finally, you know, good. Um, and he's got, 
you know, minuscule walk rate. So, I mean, in, in, in what we're looking at in the universe of his, of his pitches this year, he looks great and he'll be fine for the next two or three weeks before Houston Street comes back. But, um, I will say that I was surprised by that. I, I thought it was going to be Cashman all the way because Gregerson's a little bit wonky <clears throat> and, uh, I don't think they trust him so much in terms of how they use him. But, uh, Dale Fair, Dale Fair's the guy. And we're talking about a lot about closers here, uh, and, uh, late ending options, generally speaking. There's a new feature, I think, at Rotographs that addresses that very issue. Yeah, actually, and it's totally because of the readers. Um, I, in a couple of chats, I asked the readers, you know, we were doing consensus ranks and, you know, everyone had their opinions on the consensus ranks, but I realized that the minute we published consensus reliever rankings, they would be out of date. So um, I asked them about that, and they said, you know what, it's more interesting to us as readers to have uh, timely information and timely, like, strong analysis, but timely. Um, so what we did was we created the bullpen report that publishes at night um, <clears throat> after the East Coast game, so around 11, 11.30 at night on the East Coast. And uh, it just highlights, like, three or four bullpen situations from the night and what it might mean for the pecking order. And then our bullpen correspondents, um, <clears throat> they're going to, they're going to go in there and update a closer grid. So we now have a closer grid on, uh, on rotographs that is updated every night that has, um, you know, three or four deep for every bullpen, you know, what the, what the situation is. And it's color coded for how crazy, how volatile the bullpen is. So there's a little red light, yellow light, green light situation. So I think, um, I think it'll be really useful and I, and I look forward to, getting some feedback on it in the chat this week. So, Yeah, it's the, uh, for me, uh, the closers or bullpen are, is always the most difficult part. You and I have talked about that before. Having a feature like that is nice, especially in tandem with a league like um, Autonew where there's a sort of two-day uh, waiver period, two-day auction period, or in any league, I guess, where, um, you know, where, where there's a waiver system. Uh, going on as opposed to a straight ad drop system uh, because uh, I'm in a league like that and I and luckily that that league doesn't have saves it's more of a points based league but if it were I would never I would never have an idea I would never have a closer and that's what's happened to me in those leagues but it sounds like this new feature of rotographs um, is sort of aimed to help people especially people who might be uh, looking for a second or even a first opinion about closers yeah, yeah. I think it's also if that's your aim, you can <clears throat> you can really just get in there and and find you know the the actual bullpen situations of the night as opposed to having to comb through all the box scores. You know, especially if there's a time maybe you have a baby crying in the next room or something. Yeah, for example. The um, now listen, something that's happened recently is that Lance Berkman has injured himself, and that in itself is not shocking, but he's injured himself for a, a little bit longer than normal for him, I guess. He, given his age and maybe body type, he's someone who's sort of prone to, uh, you know, tweaks of the hammy, et cetera, but I think he has a meniscus tear 
um, a better diagnosis than was originally expected, but still one that's going to keep him out to six to eight weeks. Lance Berkman was playing a lot of first base for the Cardinals. Uh, last time he was out, briefly, Matt Carpenter did that, but it seems like also maybe uh, young slugger Matt Adams has been called up. I don't know what's happening there. It hasn't, it's not a situation I've personally had to deal with in a fantasy league. Can you tell me more about it? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a weird situation because uh, Alan Craig was you know we, we were all looking at like just like a week ago we were like oh crap Alan Craig is this great hitter but with Lance Berkman and and Carlos Beltran healthy and raking you know where's he going to play and then two of the three went down and Carlos Beltran is missing games with uh, a creaky knee so it's uh it's it's a really uh, fluid playing time situation in, in St. Louis, I would say. But uh, I do think that Craig is going to be back fairly soon. And so even though there are things to like about Matt Adams, and there, you know, not everything is to like about Matt Adams either, um, some of his numbers were accrued in uh, the offense-friendly PCL. Um, but um, there's definitely power there, it looks like. And... Uh, and he doesn't seem to strike out a whole ton if he doesn't walk a whole ton either. Maybe you could see a Mike Moustakis style line from him at first base, like a 280, 330, 500 kind of line. Um, but, you know, that would be, that would be pretty good for a rookie. Um, and St. Louis is the kind of team that would rather not break in the guy, um, I think, while they're, while they're trying to be competitive. So I think Alan Craig is going to get healthy and, and play first for them. The, um, there's also some other – you. well, I'm just going to say it. You, you said you want to talk about Ike Davis, I think, uh, along the lines of the uh, National League first baseman. What is Ike Davis doing that's notable? Or is this just you being a Mets fan and wanting to talk about Ike Davis or bemoaning Ike Davis? Uh, well, actually, there's a, there was a great post on, on Rotograph today by Mike Exisa just talking about who's going to be the second best, um, first baseman in the NL this year. And he kind of went back, he asked that question at the beginning of the year and, uh, partially because of a little, a little tiff between Cameron and I about, you know, whether, who would be a better fantasy first baseman this year, uh, Lance Berkman or Mike Morris. And um, he said some unkind words about my idea that, that Morse would be better, but turns out we were both wrong, I guess. Um, and uh, I actually think that the rest of the season, Morse might still be the second best. But, you know, looking at Ike Davis, I never really liked his swing. Um, he has this kind of hitch in it, and there's a lot of movement. He's going in, like, ten different directions before the ball comes. Um, and... You know, once it's once it's going well, he definitely does have an okay eye at the plate. But right now, he's just you can see it in the swinging strikes, the contact rate, the strikeout rate. They're all they're all in a bad place for him. So right now, he's looking like you know, like a 250 hitter with below average power for a first baseman, which is uh, not very exciting. But uh, you know, second best uh, first baseman in the NL this year might be uh, Lucas Duda. Right, at least qualifying at first base. He, he, he's. 
I guess maybe he ought to be a first baseman. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's got the glove of a first baseman for sure. Right, but he's uh, he's usually now. Where's he usually playing for the Mets these days? He's in right field, but uh, a bit of a disaster piece out there. Disaster piece is a this is a new word for you, and you're you're using it with enthusiasm. <laughs> I think I stole it from someone. Uh, I can't remember if if I stole disaster piece or craptacular from uh, Christina Carl. Well, that's all right. I'll, I'll give you both. Uh, doesn't doesn't bother me. <laughs> one um half half of both equals one. The um now of course uh, on this idea of first baseman and is first baseman playing out of position. I mean Lucas Duda is going to be more valuable um, qualifying in the outfield for fantasy owners uh, than he will at first base. Uh, another first baseman who has made some appearances recently in the outfield. I I believe I'm not lying when I say this is Adrian Gonzalez. <laughs> and so what's the deal with that? Because Adrian Gonzalez, um, now I saw like maybe a week ago or whatever, his offensive line was not uh, very Adrian Gonzalez-like. At least uh, the on-base percentage was still decent, I think, maybe mid-370s. I saw slugging, I think it was like 412 uh, or something like that. He had sort of a Derek Barton-type line. But I'm curious, um, what what's the deal now with um, Gonzalez's outfield eligibility? Where is he at in, in how much more often? How much more time will he spend out there? Oh man, it is a it's a bit of a mess out there. Um, I I can't believe Scott Sednik played center for them uh, in that same game. So they had an outfield that was uh, Gonzalez, Sednik. I don't even know what was in the right in right field. Daniel, uh, was it maybe Daniel Nava? Nava, and then then. Uh, Chase one, Lynn came in as a defensive replacement. So that's a pretty crazy outfield because uh, Skaplicenic was bad with the glove in left field uh, recently. So I don't, I can't imagine he's a great center fielder right now. But I guess Marlon Bird's not really um, up to snuff right now. And um, it's just it's just such a mess. I think uh, Carl Crawford is, is swinging the bat again, though. He's doing baseball activities. Uh, he's not quite throwing the ball in from left field, but he's playing catch out there. Um, so I think that anything that they're doing right now is a temporary solution. I don't think that anybody that you see out in their outfield right now is going to be sort of an all-year fantasy solution, even um, Adrian Gonzalez. Which means, of course, that Middlebrooks or Euclidus, you know, has to, you know, something has to has to give there. But I'm thinking most likely it's Middlebrooks uh, strikes out a little bit much and they send him back down and, and everything goes back into line once, like, Carl Crawford is back or something. But, I mean, I, I'm pretty amazed by that whole thing. It's, it's uh, yeah. Craftacular disaster piece all in one. Sure, certainly not how you you write it up. I mean, I think that entering the season, given a healthy Carl Crawford, with uh, the retirement of JD Drew, um, who's going to be a free agent anyway, of course. You had Crawford in left, Ellsbury in center, and then a platoon or something resembling a platoon of Ryan Sweeney and Cody Ross in right field, and that is a uh, that has an opportunity to be a very good outfield. Both, uh, both offensively and defensively. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Sweeney and Ross, is, that's like a perfect platoon right there. I mean, Ross is a fringy center fielder, but he's got a pretty good glove for the corner, and he murders lefties, and he's right-handed, and Sweeney's left-handed, and, you know, Sweeney's got pretty good defense and can and can play center if he has to. And uh, I mean, just for doing a, a position on the cheap, that seemed like a great idea, especially since they could both play every day if someone got hurt. But when they both got hurt and everyone else got hurt, then, you know, then you're calling up Daniel Nava. Right, and 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 somehow rostering Scott Pitsednik and allowing <laughs> yeah. him to play center field. And uh, honestly, I didn't realize Scott Pitsednik was still in professional baseball, but I guess that's a fact. Well, he wasn't for a year, but yeah. I, you know, I think uh, I wanted really badly to find someone in there that I could say, oh, this guy might stick, but I just, there was no diamond in the rough there for me. And I love Ryan Kalish, too, but I don't even know what's going on with him. I think he's still just in a lengthy rehab process for his shoulder. So. Uh, right, and Kalish, uh, when healthy, has showed especially excellent fantasy tools. Um, he seems like a you know, guy with, I don't know what you'd say the percent chances are, but it, it would it, it, it would not be um, surprising if he were to be a 2020 player at some point, or at least that version of Ryan Kalish, you know, before last season. Yeah, yeah, I hope that the uh, shoulder thing doesn't sap a bunch of power because I was really excited about him. I kept him at five dollars um in in auto new i forget which league and uh i thought that i might get him i might get a couple months out of the year if, out of him that would be pretty exciting and it'd still be worth keeping going forward but now if he doesn't come back this year then i'm gonna have a tough decision at seven dollars hey uh before you go and uh, resume your your fatherhood um or your fatherly duties i want to ask you about Manny Ramirez. I believe that before too long, he will actually be eligible to play in the major leagues again, although I've also heard that there might be a wrist injury that's holding him back. Um, what is the status on Manny Ramirez? Uh, you know, When do we expect him back healthy, and, and what sort of role might he play that could help fantasy players or owners or not? Uh it's you know it's that one's just such a it's a really hard it's a really hard one because of uh, just because of steroids really I mean just to be honest it's hard to know what his true talent was the last two or three years considering he's been caught for steroids um, you know more than once and it's just uh, you know I do you know just personally I kind of think of him as like a 290 hitter in his sleep and uh, I think. You know that you can see that the power I think is a big question mark. Um, seems like that might be the easiest thing for steroids to sort of help prop up in a late career. You know, you know, normally given his age, you would probably pencil him in for you know like a even if you did like his batting average, like a 290 season with you know kind of 10, 20 home run full season power maybe. Um, great on base percentage because of, because he does know what he's doing at the play. So that 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 sounds to me like a deep league kind of guy, a guy you pick up. Um, it has to be deeper than 14 teams, and have to have a decent bench. 
you know, he's supposed to be able to join the Mets, uh, I mean the Mets, <laughs> the Athletics, um, you know, in about a week. Um, but um, we'll have to see. Right. We'll have to see. And I think, actually, there is some space for him to produce on that team. I mean, you know, to, he could platoon with Johnny Gomes pretty easily at DH. Um, you know, there's there are some guys on that team that they can send down. Well, right. I mean, that's the concern, right? Is that is that he won't necessarily have a full time role? I, that's the, I should say that's the concern from from the fantasy owner's perspective is that you could have that bat, but given yeah, but given his age, potential injury risk, uh, you know, maybe even ineffectiveness, that that he wouldn't be an everyday player. And I, I know you've mentioned that you don't mind doing it. I don't know if if fatherhood has changed your opinion on it at all, but um, you know, constantly, especially even even if, if you're in a league that allows day to day changeups, it's sort of annoying to have to to uh, wait on that every single day. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I kind of I was talking to Chad Young about about the tuning and auto new, especially where he has the five outfielders and the huge bench with the forty man rosters, and I thought going into the season that. Yeah, I'll have some platoon guys, and that's how I'll fill in my my fifth outfielder roles. And I have been on top of lineups every night. But you know, what I do find is that a platoon outfielder is liable to miss some days when he even has the platoon advantage. Um, and that doesn't that sounds a little bit like it doesn't make sense. But I think what happens is a platoon player is not an everyday player. So you can't just be like, oh, look. There's a lefty in there. I can play Diane Vicieto, um, against this guy and he'll be pretty good because it's a lefty. You know, he's missed some games against lefties. And, you know, I just, I find myself falling behind the outfield games played pace. So, um, I, you know, I'm definitely having trouble, even if I set the lineups correctly, I, I'm definitely having trouble. You know, it is better to have everyday players. You know, maybe what I missed was I should have had five everyday outfielders and a, and then a pair of platoon guys for utility or for my bench. And um, then I would be fine on games played, and I could just use those guys when they really have a nice platoon advantage, kind of like a spot starter, like an offensive spot starter. Uh, that's probably the best way to use platoons in fantasy. Not necessarily counting on them, though. Yeah, exactly. Sort of use them in a way where they make up your bench, and you know your your actual starting guys are all actual starting guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, you know uh, that's uh, that's good of you to admit uh, some of your mistakes. Shows that you're evolving as a fantasy expert, and 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 you you have um, pretty. You know, you have something to work with there, because um, you know maybe I make a lot of mistakes. You make a lot of mistakes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're starting from pretty low down, so there's a well, the right, the advantage is that there's a lot, of, there's a lot of room to improve. <laughs> you know, nowhere to go but up, baby. Yeah, that's right. No, I was, um, I know that our, uh, the thing that our listeners love um, discussing most or hearing about most is uh, where my team is. In the auto news standings for the uh, Fangraphs staff league, um, you're in first, Bill. staff league one, yeah, it, 
I would describe it as a convincing, uh, um, convincing lead. Um, I'm 150 points ahead of Jack Moore, uh, but with uh, many fewer innings pitched at this point. I'm still on pace for maximum 1,500 uh, pretty nicely. So I think what you would, I think you, um, anyone should feel comfortable calling it a, a commanding league. Uh, and anyone who wants to um, browse along, uh, um, they can just go to, it's league number 13 in Autonew. Yeah, league number 13, um, my team's the very handsome, so you can just see it right there. It'll be easy to see because it's right at the top of the standings. <laughs> where it's situated. Yeah, and it's, it's a perm, is a... Uh... Holding up eighth, ninth, tenth place, doing real, real, real nice. The bottom of the table again. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you are. Oh, right. I see it. it. Took me a while to cast my eyes all the way down. Oh, yeah, all the way down there. Yeah, I had to look through all these different names till I found yours. Which, yeah, I believe is tenth. It's a perm. Well, I made some real big mistakes. I I kept a uh, twenty twenty dollar Carlos Clinton, and I kept a twenty something dollar Stephen Drew, and. And a little bit of subterfuge on your part, you, I think, feigned interest in Stephen Drew um, right before the deadline, and that convinced me that I might actually have something of value in a $25 Stephen Drew. Right. Well, I no, that was not, uh, no, that would not have, I'm not smart enough to, to feign interest in things like that. It was probably <laughs> real interest. But I will tell you, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before, I tried... I tried, I think, to trade a nine-dollar Raphael for Call to basically everyone in the league. <laughs> yeah, I, I had for Call nine dollars, and everyone said the same thing: I don't want him. He's nothing to me. You know, he's he's bad. I, I don't want him on my team. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's been one of my. He's probably you know been one of the best uh, auto new players, given the combination of of points he has relative to position. Uh, he's probably been one of the strongest players in the entire, you know, universe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe I can still give you Stephen Drew and for Congress now. Well, right, and that is a, well, it's a good point. I mean, that is a consideration. That's, I think that's, you know, to some degree, that's what owners would have been reacting to, is uh, for calls, uh, durability or lack thereof. Um, but he hasn't done it yet. He has not gone down yet. Um, he's on my team. He's on my team, yeah. So there you go. How old is he? What's up? How old is he? Well, that's something the internet can tell us. Luckily, I have yeah. uh, luckily I have his player page right here, um, loading up. Would well, you want to take a guess before uh, before I tell you? Thirty-four. All right. Well, uh, the drama. Is uh, killing me. Suspense. Good he is uh, in his age 34 season. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I guess he could. You know, he could. Berkman was something like that when he had his nice season last year. Yeah. Well, it's all Babbitt, but you know, I mean, he's probably an above average uh, true talent. He probably has an above average true talent Babbitt level. You know, career 314. Right. It's at 371 right now. You know, that's, mm. not, that's not that great, but, I mean, in terms but of... It's probably shortstop is, shortstop's going to be so terrible this year. It's been really, really bad. Who's that, sir? Shortstop has just been a terrible, oh, yeah. terrible position this year. Yeah, yeah, tough position, tough position. Yeah. Well, sorry about that, Eno. Sorry about everything that you're going oh, through. Oh, yeah. God, it is just so... Ugh, my team's... 
I'm gonna. I'm still gonna win two or three this year, but mm-hmm. this is not. Well, a great law. Year. I mean, yeah, law of probability states that you would eventually. You know, <laughs> you shoot out enough uh, bullets. I blame the baby. Good. That's yes. That is the correct. That is the correct <laughs> tack to take. Yeah. Yeah. Bear bear grudges immediately against your child, your newborn <laughs> child. Whatever, you're over 30. You don't really have much to live for anyway, so you might as well. You cost me that tiny town season. Yeah. I'll just hold it, you know, I'll just bring it up every once in a while. No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. This life. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's get you off the air. We'll have a brief uh, period of adult conversation after we let you off. But uh, but in the meantime, thanks uh, thanks for returning to the podcast. Thank you. All right. That is uh, what is it, Rotographs editor. And, uh, and contributor to all three Fangraph sites, Eno Saris. Um, I have been and will continue to be Carson Sestouli. And this has been Fangraph's Audio, a Fantasy Friday edition, I should say, of Fangraph's Audio. Thank you. Uh-oh.